Father, we bow before you. We acknowledge you as the Jesus child that was born and you were king even at the point of your birth. Lord, we rejoice in you. And we give you, Lord, our affection, our devotion. I pray, Lord, it's not just a seasonal thing. It's not just a Christmas spirit thing. I pray it is a everyday affection and devotion. Lord, teach us through your word right now the beauty of the timeliness of your coming. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. What a time together. It is Christmas time. Anybody excited about that? I heard more kids' voices. So that was pretty weak sauce. I'm going to try it again. Anybody excited about Christmas? All right, man, that's what I'm talking about. All right, glad to have the kiddos in the room. Glad to have you watching online if you're joining us online uh, for our worship gathering. It's time. You know, whether or not you're ready or not, it's time. It's Christmas is here and timing is of the essence. I don't know if you think about it, so many things in life, timing is of the essence. When you're telling a joke, unless it's a dad joke, because that doesn't take any coordination on that one. Uh, but if you're telling a joke, timing, the punchline, is very important that you hit it at the right time. If you're out uh, shopping and you're trying to make a deal, trying to make a deal, purchase something, it, when you buy it is very, very important on the time. When you're selling something, it's very, very important. When you are wrapping gifts and the kids are in the other rooms, it's very, very important that they don't come in at that particular time. Timing on so many things is important. And I can say this about our God. God is on time every time. Okay? Say it with me. God is on time every time. We may, he may not be on our time, but he is on his time and it is on time every time. When you think about the, the, the season, the, the travel, the journey that, that some of y'all have taken to get here, it may have seemed like 2000 years from wherever you were to getting here to Northwest Arkansas for the holidays, but when you talk about time travel, we have time traveled at Grace Point for the church over the past month. We have been looking back 2,000 years back in time, looking at the covenants, the promises of God, because as we've talked about the promises, we've I've not tried to cover all 7,400 plus promises of scripture, but looking at four anchor promises that I really want you to understand and see that these anchor promises on which all the other 7,400 and I think it's 74 promises in scripture all pivot off of. That if we understand at least these four, and I know there's others, if we understand these four, we get with four a full picture of the entire narrative of Scripture. We understand the book of Genesis all the way through to the book of Revelation whenever you understand these four covenants and how they build on each other and how they're all pointing to a very significant and strategic entry of this little baby. So when we talk about time, we talk about timing. It's very important that we understand that. And so if you've been with us, you understand. We've been talking about the blessing covenant to start with. That blessing covenant came 2,000 years ago. Came to Abraham and it was that covenant that was of God whenever he established it with Abraham. And Abraham was a pagan. He was a non-believer. He was living a, uh, his life in Ur. And God had so many great things that he wanted to do 
through Abraham, that was going to be a blessing to Abraham, but he was not just going to bless Abraham for Abraham, but he was going to bless Abraham and that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. So God had a beautiful plan in the story that he was going to tell. That blessing covenant is still alive and well, okay? It just started with Abraham, and it is alive and well for us today. And I kind of want to picture it a little bit like this. Think about Abraham living out his life. And let me see if I can get my matches to work over here. Oh, there it is. God steps into Abraham's life, and he pours out a blessing on him that would be a blessing to all the nations, all the peoples of the earth, to you and I today. And we live in the light of that blessing. But from that blessing, we talked about the next blessing. Because it's not just God up there blessing us, pouring out his blessings on us. But it's actually God wanting to direct us, give us directions. It's the directional covenant. It was the Mosaic law. He gave us the Mosaic law, not to still joy out of our life, but to add joy to our life. Not to take fun away from us, but to add true, lasting fun in a life without regret and shame, and remorse. And so he literally gives us some a roadmap, if you will, some guardrails, if you will, to help steer us through this life so that we can have a good life and not a life of disappointment and brokenness and curse and so forth. But that's not enough. The covenants don't stop there. They go on to the next covenant, the Davidic covenant. When it goes to uh, the reigning covenant, when God establishes a kingship, in David and through David that would go on for generations and generations. That it would, ne- it would be a kingdom that would never end. And so when we talk about baby Jesus, we're talking about king baby Jesus. That he comes to establish his kingdom. But then we went further. Last week we talked about the new covenant. Now this was not a new covenant that he set up with Jeremiah. But it was a new covenant that he told Jeremiah. He told Jeremiah about this new covenant and he said, behold, the days are coming. They're not here yet. The days are coming 500 years later. The days are coming whenever declares the Lord, I will make a new covenant with you. These covenants are vitally important. They're beautiful. They're powerful. They're significant in which all truth will hinge off of. But what does this covenant contain? What's it about? It's about him setting up a system, a way in which we can walk in freedom from the guilt and the brokenness and the sin of our own lives. He says, for I will forgive their sins and I will remember them no more. That is the beauty of the new covenant. It wasn't given to Jeremiah. It was only foretold to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said, it's coming. It's coming. It's not here yet. And every one of these covenants is building up, leading up to what we are at right here and now, the coming of Jesus, the advent of Jesus, that Jesus comes and he is the pinnacle of that new covenant. I hope you'll never look at your Christmas tree the same again. I hope that you will look at it and just see the progression and the development of that covenant to that pinnacle point in which in time that new covenant is established for you and for me and for every last person. Now, here's the timing of it. When did he do it? What did I say in the beginning? God is on time every time. 
God is on time every time. It says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, in the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come, another translation says it like this, and when the time came to completion, it's as if God had a stopwatch in heaven, and he was looking out in time, and he was looking at it, and he says, that's when I'm going to send my son Jesus. That's when I'm going to establish a new covenant. That's when I'm going to send the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's whenever the direction of my spirit will be given. There's so many things. The covenants are all coming together in the fullness of time. The message phrases it like this. And when the time arrived that was set by God the Father. That one word, fullness, in the Greek is the idea of a cup that has been being filled and has reached the brim. It's at the top. It can't get any more. It was be spilling over. It's at that time that God sent his son. Now what was going on back in the Roman, Greco-Roman world. Well, there was a lot going on, okay? There was a lot. There was, uh, there was, uh, there was peace in the land. It was called, uh, the, the Pax Romana. Whenever there was peace in the land and Rome was in rule and for 206 years there was no war and Greco, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Koine Greek was the common language. So literally, if you imagine Europe for a moment, from Eastern Europe to Western Europe, around the Mediterranean to Northern Africa, around the, uh, the, the Gibraltar, around the Middle East, everybody was speaking Greek and there was peace. And it was at that time that God sent his son. It was also a time of spiritual hunger. They were moving from a, 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 a pluralistic, a polytheistic belief system to a philosophical belief system. Because of the classical Greeks, because of Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, all of those philosophers, there was a, a intellectual shift. So they were moving away from a polytheistic world into this philosophical world. So they were in this kind of limbo of couldn't find truth. And it was at that time, in the fullness of time, in the completion of time, at that perfect time that they sent, that God sent his son into the world. And I just want that to sit there. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, whether or not it happened on December 25th, we'll let, let the people debate on that. But we're going to remember it on December 25th. When you wake up in the morning, I don't want you to just see that it's another day. I want you to see that it's a day in which God, in all of his planning and all of his putting things together, it was the day in which he looked out and he planned that his son would come to this earth. Now, what would his son be about? What would Jesus be about? And that's what I want to see, the timeliness of our Savior, the timeliness of Jesus, if you will. So look at Galatians chapter 4, if you have it. Chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, what did he do? God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Two, here's the purpose clause. There's two purpose clauses in this, in this passage. If you've got your Bibles, you can circle it, you can highlight it. Two, what was he said to do? To redeem those who were under the law. Second purpose clause, henna clause. So that, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because we are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son... Then an heir through God. A 
Beautiful passage, densely packaged. In fact, the book of Galatians is really believed to be one of the first confessional statements in the early church. Romans is highly densely packaged, but Galatians was one of the first books written from Paul's writings from his first, after his first missionary journey to help these new believers kind of blossom in the faith, grow up in the faith. And he wanted to make sure that they understood the Christmas story. And in the fullness of time, God did some things. In the fullness of time, God sent his son, which is one point, timely things. God's action. First of all, you need to see that God sent his son. God's action. God sent his son. And it says right there, in the fullness of time, sent forth his son born of a woman. Notice he doesn't say born of a man and a woman because he was virgin born. Because he had been born of a man, he would have carried the sinful seed of man from one generation to the next. I'll save that for another message another day. But just realize he was born of a virgin, born of a woman. And in that, in that space and time, again, wow, the reality that that is how God sent his son. And it wasn't just that God had emotions of love for us, but he had actions of love. In fact, I'll say it like this. Love without action is sentimentality. It's sentimental. It's mushy. It's soft. It doesn't really have legs. It doesn't really stand up to the weight of pressure of life and time. But love with action, that is divine. That's what real love is. It it is actionable. It is something that takes root. It's something that forces you out. It's something that causes you to forgive. It, It causes you to step into somebody's messy life. If you love them, you won't walk away from them. You'll lean in on them. Let me point this out. The, the Christian faith is different than any other religion that I can think of in the world. And literally, I took off books off my shelf this past week and went through the religions of the world. Did you just think, maybe there's another one and I'm missing it. But I literally could not find one. Christianity is the only religion in the world where God comes to us. All the other religions of the world, you try to make it to God. When you think about Islam, if you are going to follow the five pillars of the faith, then maybe, just maybe, whenever uh, you make it, whenever you die, that just maybe God will grant you paradise. And you ask a, a Muslim, have they carried out the five tenets of the faith, and are they going to have paradise? And their statement to you will be, if it's God's will. Because they have no clue. They have hopefully done everything they can. You talk about it, you talk to a Hindu. The Hindu will talk about the life of reincarnation and that they have to live better and better after every life. Otherwise they digress, but they want to, they want to progress better and better into that Brahma, into that, into that ultimate life of, uh, uh, of eternal godhood and that, that, that they will get there, they will achieve it. But listen, in the Christian faith, it's not us working our way to God. It's God coming down to us. That's why the Christmas story is not like any other story. God loved us. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. John 3.16. How many of y'all know John 3.16? For God so loved the world. Say it with me. For God so loved the world. You don't have to just cheat sheet. He He gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I may not have got it exactly like that because I memorized it, King James, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Powerful statement of God. What does he do? He loves us. But because he loves us, 
Love is action. He takes action by doing what? Sending his son. That's the beauty of the Christmas story. God comes to us. Whenever I think about this offering that we're collecting and the work that we're doing in Greece and the work that we've been doing in Greece for now several years with refugees and uh, and so forth. There's a new level of that that we're moving into, a kind of a phase two, if you will. Many of the refugees that live in Greece have to figure out how they're going to make it. And some of them get caught, in a, and I, for young years, I'm going to say it like this, doing jobs they're forced to do that they don't want to do. And so in that context, they don't know love like we know love. They know love as something that is bought. They know love as something that is taken. They know love as as something that is abusive. That's not love. I want to be a church that wants to be a part of getting this love story of God, that God came to us because he loved us. And I want to make sure everybody in this world has a chance to hear it because I have been blessed so that I can be a blessing, just like Abraham. Number two, God had a name. Not only God had action, but God had aim. What was his aim? To redeem us. To get us out of our quagmire and mess, get us out of our brokenness, to redeem us from those under the law. Now, the law was never intended to make us right. We talked about that a few weeks ago. It was never intended to make us holy. It was never intended to save us. It was a bunch of to-do lists is not what you need to get to heaven or to enter into a relationship with God or to have peace on earth, goodwill to men. You don't need a to-do list. You need a relationship. And Jesus Christ came, and it says, to redeem us from those who are under the law those who are cursed, those who are lost in their brokenness. It goes on back in Galatians chapter 3. It says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything that is written in the book of the law. Now, have you done everything written in the book of the law? Have you crossed every T and dotted every I? I doubt it like I haven't. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God. Because, why? Righteous will live by faith. Abraham became righteous because he lived by faith. Moses became righteous because he lived by faith. Uh, David became righteous because he lived by faith. Mike McDaniel becomes righteous because he lives by faith in Jesus Christ. And so it is Jesus Christ who does the work. He comes to us. He buys us out of our brokenness through his death, burial, and resurrection. Listen, you cannot come to the cradle of Jesus and miss the cross of Jesus. They go together because notice the next verse or a few verses down. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. So when I talk about redemption, I talk about when Jesus went to the cross and we cannot separate the cradle from the cross. They go together hand in glove. Matteo Ricci was a, a Jesuit missionary to China in the 16th century. Long before the technology that we have, he had to rely on painting to tell his story, to tell the story of God. He's a pretty good artist in his own right, and so he painted a picture of the Virgin Mary giving, having a child and, and all that whole narrative story that we're celebrating. 
Then he painted some more photos or some more pictures, if you will. Paintings. Get my words right. Paintings of uh, of the Jesus story, of him growing up, of, of him healing people, of him doing miracles and teaching and all the, of the life of Jesus. And then he painted the betrayal of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and these people that he was working with said, no, we don't want that Jesus. We don't want the crucified Jesus. We want the baby Jesus. And I'm afraid there's a lot of people in our world today that they want baby Jesus, meek and mild, lying in a manger. But the Jesus that calls us out of our brokenness, calls us and gets in the muck and the mire of our life, that's the Jesus that Jesus, a baby, becomes. We cannot separate the two. We cannot separate the cradle from the cross. Number three, when you look at the timeliness of his coming, he came at a perfect time. What did he came? Because he was sent of God. What did he come to do? His purpose was to redeem us, but not just to redeem us, but to call us his own, to adopt us, to open up his life to us, to open up his kingdom to us, to make us heirs of him. So it says in verse five, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Ryan and Morgan, a young couple from North Dakota, were adopting an international child and went through the process. And if you know of anybody who's gone through that process, you know it's lengthy and costly to adopt internationally. They had paid virtually all the money and they had seen photos and they had had Zoom calls and the, gone through the whole process of trying to, as best they could, understand their, their, their new son, Charlie, that was going to be coming to their home. And just about Christmas time, they were going to go over and get Charlie. And then there was a coup in country. There was a change of power. There was a change of authority. There was a change of laws. And all of a sudden, they weren't allowing inter- international adoptions. By that time, Morgan and Ryan had already given their heart, their money, their heart, their emotions to adopting Charlie. So what are they going to do? The government says no adoptions. So they load it up on Christmas and they go over. And they, they camp outside the orphanage where Charlie is. And they stay there night after night. They, when they weren't at the, at the orphanage playing with Charlie, being with Charlie, they were at the government offices trying to do everything they could to persuade them, calling on, on, on ambassadors and to whatever they could do. And finally, Morgan had to come back home, but, but, but Ryan stays. And he stayed and he stayed until the government finally said, okay, you can adopt Charlie. Now, you just think about young Charlie. He may never, ever, ever know the full extent that mom and dad went to to adopt him. And he may. But I want you to see this. Our Father in heaven so much wanted to be in a relationship with every last one of us that he would leave 
his home and come and pitch a tent in our neighborhood. John chapter one, verse 14, you read it for yourself. He moves into our neighborhood so that he's going to set at the orphanage of our lives. He's going to set at the door of our lives. He's going to die on the cross for us so that he can take us to be with him. That is the Jesus that we worship. And whenever he adopts us, what does he do? He makes us heirs. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Then you are heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ. See, Jesus adopts us, but his spirit moves into us. Verse 6 says, And because you are sons of God, this is back in Galatians, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And how do we address God? You address him as Abba, Father. One of the most intimate ways you can express a father. Call him Daddy, Daddy. Spirit of God moves inside of us. He becomes a part of us. And I go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 15, when it says this. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption. When we come to this season, I look at those two phrases, spirit of slavery, spirit of adoption. There's people in this room, I'm afraid, watching online, that are living in a spirit of slavery. Slavery to their own brokenness, slavery to their own sins, slavery to self, slavery to, to so many things that hold them back. My friend, Jesus came to adopt you and to give you his spirit We're going to be studying a new series in the coming year called Unleashed. Just the reality of what the Spirit of God in us, if we would just allow the Spirit of God to work through us, to be in us and through us, He will change our character, He will change our outlook, He'll change the way we relate to others. But the problem is there's a lot of people still over here in the spirit of slavery. God has called us to the spirit of adoption. I cannot get away from that phrase without thinking of... The children and the women that are in Greece that we are going to get to come along beside and help and be with, that they have no clue about this. Every year we come to a season like this and we ask our members, hey, would you adopt somebody that's not in your family? And there's different things that we've done all across the world. Would you adopt somebody? I'm going to ask you this year, would you adopt Hagar? A woman in, in, in Greece, call her Hagar, who maybe has never heard of Jesus. And the way we're going to do this is that we take up a Christmas offering. And I, again, I, uncomfortable. I'm not trying to lean on this. I'm just trying to say, hey, listen, this is an opportunity for us as followers of Jesus to take the generosity that he's given us and because love is action and to give it back. What is it that God would have you to give? Lori and I have done this for years now. It's not even something that we really even talk about anymore. It's something we're just committed to. That we have all of our kids, and now we have all of our grandkids, and we have Hagar this year. We have somebody that our church is going to say, we're going to bless the socks off. We're going to take the name of Jesus to the people. We're going to help set them free. That's what we're doing this year. So we're going to give you some space to be generous. 
And the way you can be generous is I know some of the kids came with their, their little containers full of, of their offerings. In a little bit, you're going to find out where you can go drop those. All right? That's one of the things. But if you want to give online, there's a space that you can do that. This is an opportunity for you. All you have to do is text GPC Give to 97000 and you'll be given a link back and you can do that whole process. We want to give you space. Father God, you came to us in the fullness of time. You sent your son to redeem us. To adopt us. To give us your spirit of adoption. We will never be alone again because you came at Christmas. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that everyone in this room People watching online will know the spirit of adoption and not the spirit of slavery. Set us free that we can walk in freedom and we can share freedom. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Around 20,000 women are being trafficked into Greece annually. That's 20,000 moms, daughters, sisters, and aunts who are torn from the life they know and love into a job and life that they did not choose to be in. By the age of 18, many jobs of exploitation are legal. And once in this life, only 1% of women are able to escape. In Greece alone, around 40,000 women and children are forced into this life. That's over six times the average city size in Arkansas, or even yet, more than two Bud Walton arenas. By partnering with Hagar Ministries, our church has the opportunity to directly influence over 4,400 contacts with individuals who are being trafficked each year. Food, clothes, shelter, safety, and most importantly, the message of hope that is found in Jesus. Isaiah 61.1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Our minimum goal of 65000 will go directly to these efforts to Greece, where God has placed gifted and blessed individuals on the ground to minister and care for this community. Please take your phone out and join us by being a part of how God is going to loose the bonds of wickedness in Greece as we proclaim these women and children as not for sale.